the Toasted Sister Podcast, radio about Native American food. I'm Andy Murphy. special episode, I bring you voices from the second Native Women's Business Summit. It's two days of Native women building each other up, uh, networking, and encouraging continued business growth in Native America. And as I mingled around and listened to the panel discussions, I heard a lot about how Native food can be the entire business or an inspiration for Native women entrepreneurs. So today you'll hear a lot from Addie Lucero of Dancing Butterfly Naturals, Priscilla Frazell of Sacred Generations, Reina Bentia of Tsuya Farm, Kathy Sanchez of Tiwa Women United, and Shaye Lucero of Earth and Sky Floral Design and Gallery. Shaye is going to talk a little bit about bats. So let's get into it. Hi, my name is Addie Lucero. It's Adelina, actually. That's my English name. And um, my Indian name is Tilmoetomei. That means dancing butterfly. And that is actually um, the name of my products, my, my business, Dancing Butterfly Naturals. So you're a farmer. I read an article about you in the Taos News um, from a while ago. Uh, you're a farmer. Uh, tell me a little bit about why that's important to you to grow native food and um, how it's really sort of nourished yourself uh, and your family. Yeah, so I call myself a traditional farmer, and the reason I do that is to separate myself from other farmers um, that that grow everything else that I don't grow because um, there's always a lot of confusion. People are like, oh, you're a farmer, and they think I know how to do a bunch of things that I don't know how to do um, as far as, um, you know, commercial farming and things like that, growing in greenhouses, which, oddly enough, I worked at a farm that we did that, but I never farmed in the greenhouse. So um, when I say traditional farming, I grow Taos Pueblo uh, blue corn, white corn. I grow yellow corn that is only for prayer purposes. I also grow uh, an old form of, um, it looks like Hubbard squash, but it's an old squash. We call it Bau. That's the only name for it. And that's our Tiwa name for like pumpkin. And it's a mix between a pumpkin and a squash. It's really nice. We also grow another one. And so in doing that and and in learning this process, um, I didn't know how to farm. I didn't have a green thumb. (laughs) I grew up in California and I pretty much killed every plant that I ever had. (laughs) I asked for forgiveness for that. And, um, you know, coming home, putting my son through the kiva and, and our traditional, you know, wanting to learn our traditional ways, it all came back to farming and it all came back to food. It all came back to understanding where our people came from. It all came from food, you know. And what are what are our, our um, you know our dances? What are what are our, our our you know spiritual practices represent? It all comes back to corn, and it all came back to like I said that food, and so I I had to learn, you know, and I was inspired to learn. Uh, my mom actually gave me um, some seeds, and it was the blue corn seeds and some pumpkin seeds. 
and uh, I set out to <laughs> learn how to farm and the first go around was just amazing. They, they just remembered that soil, you know, they remembered it, that those seeds hadn't been planted in almost 40 years in Taos. My mom was planting in Gallup, but she had saved some. For some reason, she said in her mind, somebody was going to come back home and plant. And that was me. I was the first one to do it in, out of my brothers and sisters. And so, like I said, it loved that soil. And the stalks from the blue corn were a little over 12 feet. And I had just grown this two acres of blue, white corn, as well as um, the squash and pumpkins. And... It was tremendous. It was such a blessing because all those seeds just remembered that that soil and the water. And um, I had such a great experience. And then in that process, I learned to identify the weeds, which ones to pull. So I learned the wow, the wild spinach, you know, and um, pig's weed, you know. And I learned what that was. And then I learned the there's another one, purslane, you know. And I learned how to prepare that because I was like, well, what is that? And they're like, oh, don't throw that away. You know, that's good. You know, so digging out really from the actual weeds and learning those foods um, was a process. And it was a blessing altogether. Uh, so tell me about your business, uh, Dancing Butterfly Naturals, and how you are inserting some of those plants that you're getting familiar with again. So Dancing Butterfly Naturals came from uh, an effort <laughs> Uh, very, very, uh, very hard effort to stop being lazy. <laughs> I was learning how to process yucca, um, you know, to to bathe with, and um, it's a lot of work. You know, I don't know if um, you've ever done that or anybody's ever done it. You know, you gotta hike up a good distance, you know, because they don't grow at lower elevations, and you gotta lo get a little bit higher. So you gotta hike up there, and you gotta take some tools, you know to get the yucca root and then you got to peel it then you got to beat it and then you use it it's like a one-time use you know one-shot deal and you know I was like I'm all about my time and I thought how do we do this can I freeze it can I do something and my answer like no uh -uh, you just use it once you know and I thought no no it's got to be another way <laughs> so I tried different ways to do it and it would rot it would stink and it would just you know uh, I, I did cut a whole bunch and put them in baggies and froze them for a while and they were useful but again it was still that same process again so what I ended up doing one day was like on a fluke I just put it in a pottery pot and was was boiling it like I would anything else getting ready and I wasn't able to bathe you know that day and then the next day you know something else came up so it sat in the pot for three days and I ended up adding herbs and things because it started to stink I'm imagining it started to rot and um, it jellified and I was able to use it shortly after adding water and boiled it again. And it just puffed right up and it was beautiful. But I had to figure out a way to preserve it at this point. And so I went through different methods using Indian salt, um, using honey, you know, fresh uh, um, honey. And so it was just this great process. So that's, that's where it started, just the interest in learning about the plant. How do I use it? How can I prolong its, you know, life? How can I make it, you know, fit my needs? You know, my, my son had a toothache. You know, he wasn't able to use traditional, I mean, um, anything but traditional medicines, which are, we know are plants. I didn't know any. And my brother had picked a piece of um, the red willow and he peeled it and he said, here, have him chew on this. And my son chewed on it and his, his uh, swelling went down in his mouth and also the pain you know, was relieved and he was able to go to sleep. And I think his body was really receptive to that because he had nothing but traditional foods in him for at least six months. He wasn't having any other medicines or any Western, you know, foods. 
And this was when he was in the Kiva? Yes, this was during um, that time. And so it was, a, it, was, it was a beautiful process of learning and understanding, you know, what these plants can do. And after that, I got even more curious, like, oh, what is this plant? What does it do? I started asking, and, and most people that I asked were, were very welcoming and would say, oh, it has one use or it has this use, or they didn't know. And so I just started trying different things. And... Um, eventually I wanted to when I the need to work you know came up and and <laughs> I said well what do I do you know I like making medicines and I had learned how to make goat's milk soaps um, through um, NACA the Native American Community Academy uh, several years before and I thought maybe I can make soaps and incorporate some of the plants in there and so that was one of the first go-rounds I had with a uh, blue corn soap um, I used the blue corn because I had an abundance of blue corn after growing two acres for three years, you know, you can Im imagine how much I had. So I was finding different ways to use the blue corn besides eating it. How is it good? So I make a soap scrub. Um, and so it was soft with the goat's milk, but it was also like scrubby with the, with the, the corn. And, um, and eventually I just started using the yucca shampoo and people liked it. People wanted to buy it. And um, I started making lip balm with beeswax and just like a couple of soft oils and um, wild mint was the first one that I ever made. So that, that's how my, my process grew and I'm constantly being inspired by other people who are doing work. Um, you know, I'm growing my, my uh, product line um, based on, you know, my knowledge of plant, plants grows, you know, and the uses that I have for them. Um, I'm making a Indian tea soap coming up here soon i just made a very awesome blue corn mask with a bunch of clays so it's a detoxifying mask for your face so it has the blue corn that i grow in process and also i add juniper ash i add bentonite clay and i add um, beeswax and flower you know flower um, essence and so it's just like this really nice process and this working with all these different plants and these different fats and uh, water, mixing it all together and creating this beautiful product that now I can share with everybody. So that, that's the next in line, just really focusing on things that have uh, ind indigenous ingredients. So if it's something that I don't grow or harvest myself. Um, I make sure that it's sustainably, sustainably grown, and I'm also looking for indigenous suppliers. I got a hold of recently some jojoba, golden jojoba oil from um, Navajo Nation, and I got a hold of some bentonite clay from Utah, sweet grass oil from South Dakota. So um, just being also learning how to be reciprocal with my neighbors and, and uh, trading and purchasing and helping to support other you know, native businesses as well. Tell me about the business end of this. I know you're selling these products and some people might think of uh, some of the plants as medicine and that maybe you're not supposed to sell uh, certain medicines or you're not supposed to sell certain uh, f uh, indigenous food ingredients. How do you sort of work that out in your business? The first thing was I needed to come to grips with the reality of what these medicines and these foods are. Certainly they're medicines, certainly they're traditional, certainly we use them in, you know, um, that spiritual realm. But everything that I do is based on prayer. You know, when I, when I harvest or when I grow and harvest plants, I always give back, you know, I say a prayer. I put down cornmeal and I say thank you for that plant for giving its life. I never harvest in one area, you know, over harvesting. I'm very um, conscious, you know, and prayerful in what I'm doing. 
The other part of it is understanding that a business is a business. And when we think about, <laughs> this was just said here at the Native Women's Business Summit, uh, first time I ever heard this concept was matrilineal economy. You know, like, what is that? And I thought about it, you know, for two, <laughs> two days. <laughs> this is the second day. And I thought, well, you know, it's basically you know, the economy that we have as women in our communities and what do we have to give? We have services, you know, we can babysit, we can clean somebody's house, we can prepare a meal, you know, we can go help out or we can, if we make products, um, we can trade them. So it's like that trade barter system. Um, unfortunately, you know, the world that we live in requires money, you know, to pay the bills. And so when I think about that, I think about my products as a way to support my family. And it's also a way of also, you know, providing not only a service, but information um, and also sharing, you know, that medicine that, you know, that I've harvested, that I've prayed for and as I'm creating it and then I'm sharing it with the person. So they're getting that energy from the plant and from myself, you know, when they, when they you know, buy a product from me. That's the way I see, you know, my business. And I've had people tell me, you know, you're not supposed to make that, you're not supposed to sell blue corn, and that's traditional, but when did it become only traditional? That's my question, you know? And I had to answer that myself because I kept getting it from both sides. I grew up in the 70s in the Pueblo, I ate, that kind of food, you know, I ate what is so-called our traditional foods um, when I grew up and I was really healthy, you know, growing up. And I thought, why is it that we can't use that food? When did that stop? When did it only become traditional? I am a native person. This belongs in my body, you know, and this belongs in your body and other native people's bodies, you know, so we should be able to use that and use that energy. And um, again, as long as we're being, uh, you know, me, intentionally, I'm being respectful, I'm being responsible, I'm being reciprocal, you know, and um, I'm sharing that awareness that um, this comes through in my products. And I don't make a lot of money. I do a lot of barter and trade as well with other people. So it's just a really um, nice concept when you think of it and that economy and understanding what your place is, where your business stands, you know, with that concept. And so that's what makes it okay for me to do this. You know, as a consumer myself of some of these traditional foods, I think um, the work that you uh, producers and you growers are doing is really important to the to the native uh, consumers like myself who are not really connected to traditional foods. Um, like, you know, in my family, there's nobody who grows uh, these things. There's nobody who has that knowledge to pass down to me. So I think it's really important that you guys are putting it out there and putting it out there to sell um, so that we could help pay your bills we could help make sure that you guys are going to keep producing because I think we all need that and um, I think that's just a little tiny part of this uh, food sovereignty movement is for everybody to take part in it and maybe not be so intimidated to take part of it because because maybe it's been they've been scolded or something about this is traditional you're not supposed to touch it but at the same time how am I supposed to experience it how am I supposed to experience that that deep connection that you guys are always talking about unless I bring it into my own home sometimes it's I have to purchase it to bring it into my own home absolutely and we always think about walking in prayer we hear that a lot walk in prayer walk in beauty and how do you do that on a daily basis when you're reserving things that should be you know put on your body um, 
absorb, take it into yourself on a daily basis um, if it's reserved only for a certain time of year. You know, how then are we supposed to do that? How then do we share that, you know, with our, our, our kids? And I think when we're talking about food sovereignty, we're talking about, you know, our food system and the way it's been broken down through colonialism. And we think how it's been broken down through matri I mean, patriarchy and how we as women in general, you know, I like to say, speak on a, a woman's behalf, is that, you know, how, how, how is it that, that we're, we're going to, you know, respond to that? It's, it's all been taken away from us, and we need to be able to come back to that in a way that is, is good for ourselves, first of all, good for the land, you know, good for the plants, good for the animals, good for our community. And in everything that I do, I try to think about that, you know, when I create my products. And I, I think the way that this got taken away from us, you know, during that time was because, uh, you know, when, when, when colonialism happened, basically that power was taken away from us. So many people had to go to work. They couldn't be in the fields. They couldn't be out in the mountains harvesting. They couldn't be out hunting. They couldn't be out growing or doing the things that we used to do as communities to sustain ourselves, you know? So our, we know our food system got broken down. We know we're fighting. That's why it's called food sovereignty. You know, we, we're, we're trying to be sovereign again in all kinds of ways. And this is one of those ways that we need to consider, you know, how we're talking and how we're addressing and how we're scolding and perhaps even understanding, you know, where native businesses are coming from. You know, I'm, I'm here at this summit and I'm seeing a ton of beautiful businesses and beautiful native, powerful native women, you know, creating products, you know, from, from where they come from, from their perspectives, using ingredients that most would consider traditional. You know, it's traditional all the time. I'm native every day, 24-7. So, yeah, I'm going to continue doing it. And I'm going to continue making a living and doing the best I can and, and carrying that down for my family to understand that right now is the time to be fearless and keep moving forward, you know. And I, I think, you know, I was uh, just kind of also thinking about what I said just a while ago, like, um, you know, we might we might have been scolded and said, you know, that's traditional, you're not supposed to do this. But, you know, there is um, kind of a fine line that everybody has to f first find and then walk uh, when it comes to, like, medicine and stuff like that. I mean, I'm not saying, like, I can buy anything. You know, there are certain things that are pretty much out of... Um, um, there are per some things that you just cannot buy and you're not supposed to maybe even be exposed to it because it's maybe not your time or you don't need it at all, like like medicines and stuff like that. So I just want to make that clear um, that I'm not saying that I can buy anything I want. <laughs> yeah, and, and I agree. And being that I, you know, you know, I'm a, I consider myself a traditional woman, you know, I practice my Kiva ways and I understand, you know, what is traditional, and what isn't. I'm obviously not going to do that, not because of what somebody else is going to say, because I know that's something that I shouldn't do. For instance, you know, when I'm thinking about, you know, blue corn, blue corn isn't something that we use ceremonially, you know, in, in that way. It's the white corn and that's what we pray with. I, my products don't contain white corn. I won't even grow that outside of my Pueblo. That I have other lands that I can utilize to grow things, but I won't grow that outside of there. So those are some of the things. And I've heard, you know, oh, they're selling piki bread. You know, in our language, it's pili. You know, and I'm like, 
well, maybe they're okay with that. But if I were to sell it, I know that's a traditional food. I, I mean, that's, you know, very sacred. I would never sell that. I would never, you know, I sell my blue corn flour, but I don't sell the one that I grind, you know. I only grind for traditional stuff, and then everything else is, you know, I have a stone grinder that I use, but it's, it's in a mill. You know, there are stones in there because it gives it more of that natural fill. So I'm very considerate, again, of what I do, and I'm glad that you brought that up because that's always, I think, the concept because most people are only seeing it from that lens, from that, you know, indigenous lens and, and that very traditional lens, and, and that's what they're seeing, and they're saying, well, we're not supposed to do that. You know, but that's not what it is. And, and that's part of what I was saying about giving that respect and being able to listen to the people who are doing it and saying, well, they, they know better, so that they're not. So let's give them that respect and that understanding that they're creating something new. How about, how about supporting that, you know, that vision? You know, maybe asking questions, you know, coming up to that person and saying, you know, hey, what are you using that for? Or, you know, how do you process it? You know, what, what's your method? that kind of thing I think I'm very open to that and if people were to ask me um, I would love to talk about it you know I love talking about my products and my process. Priscilla Frazell spoke on a panel about economics in missing and murdered indigenous women and girls and she mentioned the healing connection between traditional food and those who are re-entering the community from prison. She's with Sacred Generations. Um, Sacred Generations is a healing and racial justice movement of medicine organizing system impacted tribal communities to end educational inequity, mass incarceration, and climate injustice in Native California and beyond. And so um, that's what we do and where we're based. And you talked a little bit about um, traditional foods and uh, re-entry, how they kind of, how um, traditional foods could help people who are uh, leaving prison and coming back home? Yeah, so right now um, we are organizing brothers and sisters that have been impacted by mass incarceration. And right now in California, um, there's a fight to save salmon, um, which are the traditional foodways um, for California Indians. And um, one you know, way that we do this is our brothers and sisters are able to provide um, testimony in the form of letters um, to the California State Water Board or live testimony um, that really talks about how traditional foodways um, and that issue is, is, is directly related to mass incarceration of Native peoples, specifically when they re-enter the community, um, if they have access to those traditional foodways and how important that access is to traditional foodways um, in, the, in the process of restoring Native land and people in their healing process um, as, you know, a formerly incarcerated um, sister or brother, what that means to them in, in, you know, in accessing traditions. And I know there are some programs that work in prisons to bring some cultural uh, traditions to uh, the prisons. Is there like a food program? Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so right now uh, in, in California, um, brothers and sisters, legally they're supposed to have access to ceremony um, as their religion. Um, we're finding as, you know, we're working on our data sovereignty, sovereignty projects that um, that's not always the case for different reasons. And so there's a lot of opportunity to make sure that that policy is implemented um, and accessible for brothers and sisters inside um, to have access to ceremony. In terms of having access to traditional foodways in, in, in prisons, that's not something that's, um, that, that's currently a program um, in California but definitely there's an opportunity for that um, and we're exploring ways um, how that would look through different campaigns that we're executing right now. 
Next, I met with Reina, who is Zuni. She's this small, petite woman who I love to follow on social media. Hi, my name's Reina Bentia. I'm from the Pueblo of Zuni, and I own a small farm called Zuya Farm in the South Valley in Albuquerque. Tell me about the farm. <laughs> so my farm is about a third of an acre. It's located on the Bernalillo County open space. Uh, I have about 20 rows on drip tape, uh, all vegetable production. I also have a small area dedicated to uh, Zuni waffle gardens and a flood area where I mostly plant uh, traditional foods like corn, bean squash, chili, amaranth, uh, sunflowers, and it's my second season, so it's just starting out. All right, so it's your second season um, as an entrepreneur. How are things going on the business side of things? Um, business side, you know, just constantly trying to figure out uh, different ways to help myself, uh, n- more so like not overwork myself, work smarter, not harder kind of thing. <laughs> so um, I'm just constantly learning as I go since I am just starting out and, you know, haven't really found my way into um, accessing capital. So that's one of the reasons why I'm at the Business Summit. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Tell me how you got um, into farming. Has it always been in your family? Uh, My great-great-grandfather may have been a farmer. I recently kind of was digging through my family history and trying to figure out uh, my elders because I really didn't know much about them. So I found out that one of my great-grandfathers was a farmer, but um, I'm like the first person to kind of take that role on in my family. Maybe one of the few women farmers from my Pueblo. So I started being interested in uh, farming when I was in high school. I kind of really I, I don't know, I just really gravitated toward um, uh, farming and being able to grow my own food and just that, the power that it hel- holds uh, in our communities. And I w- wanted that to be something that I did as, um, as a way to kind of keep my culture alive and kind of not letting my elders down or my ancestors down by letting that part of our culture kind of disappear. So. So April is a time a lot of people are starting to get their gardens ready. I'm definitely going to try to start one this year, but it's um, you know a lot of hard work. Can you tell me about um, the hard work uh, that you have to put into this? And then uh, maybe a little bit of advice for first-timers. Uh, let's see. So I kind of start out in the winter months, actually. I do a lot of planning during those times um, when I'm not in the field. So I make sure I kind of map out my field area. I plan which crops are going to go where. Um, I make sure that I order the seeds that will um, last throughout the whole year kind of thing. So I don't order too much or too little. I kind of do all that planning ahead of time. So that when I am able to start, you know, prepping the field, I have uh, some type of structure that I go by that kind of keeps me from, you know, just being all over the place. So, um, yeah, that would probably be one of uh, the things that I would um, recommend to people starting out is doing some sort of planning at the beginning of the year. And, um, you know, just ask ask farmers. They, uh, they are really... Um, 
people that I kind of ask uh, just random questions because uh, I don't know everything. Uh, I kind of go and ask um, some different farmers, you know, when do I plant this or when do I step these plants up? Um, so they, they're really gracious and they give me a lot of uh, encouragement and a lot of knowledge too. So the good thing about it is uh, the more people, people you have like in your network, the more people come help you out. So, <laughs> What are some challenges you face being a uh, woman in this business, in agriculture? Um, I guess uh, just um, different stereotypes that people have, um, just about, in, about farmers in general. You know, people think that uh, farmers are like older uh, white dudes with straw hats kind of thing. And um, when people see like a young woman uh, native woman uh, farming and I'm pretty petite <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I think that's just you know just breaking down those types of uh, uh, stereotypes that we kind of um, I guess have about farmers and uh, even just the work that farmers do in general it's kind of not really um, a profession that um, we know we really value it kind of changed, I guess, at one point farmers were really important and now people kind of don't take a second guess about where their food cr food comes from or how it's grown. So um, being a woman farmer, I guess the challenge is just, you know, running a business in general, uh, making sure that um, all my crops are planted, um, harvesting right. Um, yeah, it's a uh, it's challenging because there are like you know some male farmers that kind of feel like they kind of look down on you or they try to you know tell you what to do or how to do things and you know it's it's um a little discouraging sometimes when you know people just say different comments but you know it's a uh, uh, <laughs> kind of just a. Uh, make myself um, resilient that way, kind of not let those things get to me. And um, yeah, it's just uh, really good that I have a, a, a strong male partner who's able to tell me, don't, don't, uh, don't listen to what they're saying or don't let it get to you. And I think um, that's kind of what helps me kind of get through those uh, trying times when, you know, the people say things that are not necessarily in my benefit before she could leave the summit event, I caught Kathy Sanchez for a quick interview. Sanguitamo, my name is Kathy Wempovi Sanchez. I'm from San Aldefonso, Pueblo, and I am with Tewa Women United. And uh, you were on a talk about um, uh, the economics of missing and murdered indigenous women and girls. And you talked about how generational trauma works. And then you talked about um, how traditional indigenous food can kind of be that medicine to connect indigenous people with that healing that we all need. Uh, can you tell me a little bit uh, about that? Okay, so when a, a child is born, they... Um put the, pl the placenta, the, the core thing, in back into Mother Earth to ground them. So if they're boys, they put them in the field. And if they're girls, they put the, the, the civet that falls off in, with the kitchen or in the house. So that that grounds them back to getting the nutrients and the foods and the connection with their well-being of mind, heart, and spirit with Mother Earth or with their mother. And so food is very sacred in that what you feed your body 
nourishes your spirit. And so the memory that seeds hold is very much needed into waking up the memory in your body. The ancestral wisdom comes forward. So water also that's found within your aquifer has been nurtured with the elements and the minerals and the richness of of local so that is also very powerful in reclaiming your your spiritfulness of who you are so your identity is very much connected with your connections with mother earth sky uh, cosmos and your ancestors and as your ancestors are can be around you to help you if you heal yourself you heal your ancestors because collectively we as indigenous people have collective trauma and that collective trauma has kept kept the soul wounding happening and our ancestors are crying because they feel they left without teaching, they left without saying goodbye. And so when you heal yourself, they know that you can forgive them for what all they weren't able to do, but then that you're acknowledging that they're very powerful to help you and guide you in, in your journey. And so that is what I was trying to get across in saying that healing is possible and the foods that are native really strengthen us back and it cleanses our body from this hardness that the plastics or the pharmaceuticals or the GMOs have gotten into our body. We need to get those out. And uh, you're a fourth-generation uh, potter. Uh, can you tell me about how pottery is used in the kitchen today? I think a lot of people might think of um, Pueblo pottery as just something that's decorative, that just kind of sits on the, the mantle. But how is it used in uh, the kitchen today? Okay, so when uh, as a potter, traditional potter, before you can um, receive the clay from the ground, the earth, Mother Earth, you offer prayers, you offer asking so that you can receive. So what you create so that it can benefit in nourishing you. So it can be a, a vessel that cleanses the waters because they have water filters that are made of Mother Earth. And then for cooking, there's other different clays like the micaceous clay that you can cook in. So all the elements and the nutrients of the of Mother Earth comes out into the foods as well. And it also takes away so it's also a filtering system. So yes, cooking can, um, the, the natural elements are very powerful in a traditional sense of connecting you back. So yeah, it's very, very, very um, well connected. I also met with Shaye Lucero, who is Acoma and Laguna Pueblo. She had a booth at the summit and it was covered in flowers. I am the owner and floral designer of Earth and Sky Floral Designs. We are located at the Pueblo of Laguna. We're a home-based uh, floral studio that offers services from everyday designs to sympathy to weddings to special events, and we even do some wedding planning. All right, and uh, uh, the first time I came across your name was when I was doing a little bit of research on um, bats in Native America, because bats are one of my favorite animals, and I'm using my <laughs> and I'm using my own podcast to just tell everybody about bats in Native America. <laughs> so, um, uh, and then I came across this uh, uh, like it was like a floral competition, and you put bats all inside of it. Tell me a little bit about uh, that that piece, and then tell me about um, uh, bats in your culture? The, the floral pieces were done for the floral show at the Albuquerque Botanical Gardens. Uh, every year they, ch they host a floral show and it's by invitation only so they choose 
um, top florists in the central New Mexico area to exhibit uh, there and every year it's a theme and last year's theme was pollinators and nobody thinks of bats as pollinators and so I chose I chose bats and I made bats out of using fresh floral or fresh product and created them so that they hung from the ceiling and then also in my display also discussed about how they are pollinators everything from echolocation to just you know just all the different neat things about bats and I also touched a little bit on how bats have um, a big significance in Pueblo uh, teachings. In Karis, the word for bat is pikiki, and um, I think that's maybe based on the sound that they use. You know, it's kind of like a high-pitched screeching noise. Um, so I think maybe that's where the name, their name, came from. Um, but bats aren't something that we are scared of. We know that they're there because we, that they're there for a good importance where they eat the mosquitoes, they also eat the bugs that may destroy our crops. And so we make sure that they're, they're taken care of and um, because they, they are part of the healthy balance of our ecosystem. All right, so bats equal food. That's why I'm talking about it on my podcast. <laughs> um, how do you um, how do you pay attention to traditional native food uh, in your business here, if if that's even what you're doing? Um, well, I don't exactly like um, you know have food in mind when I do <laughs> when I create a floral design, but I have used things like carrots and asparagus, broccoli, um, Brussels sprouts, cabbage. Um, corn. I've even um, I made this this past two Christmases. I made wreaths out of corn husk flowers, and I I was as I was making them. My mom says, "Well, I remember when your grandma used to make them, make corn husk flowers." And I said, "Really?" And she and so she has this story about when my mom was in day school when she was really little. Um, they had to. She can't quite remember the details, but they had to uh, exchange flowers. And so my grandmother made her uh, corn husk flowers. And um, I'm like, wow, that's cool. I have some sort of link to my grandmother, um, not unknowingly, you know, um, that, you know, we use the corn husks. So I, 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 I also like to try to incorporate a lot of uh, Pueblo culture into my floral designs. Um, in floristry, you're supposed to look at terms of when you're positioning flowers in odd numbers, three, five, seven, nine, you always think in that aspect. But I always try to incorporate some of the Pueblo number in it of four, eight, you know, six, 10, all the even numbers. So it's just, it's, it's just trying to find a balance and I think that's what makes my shop a bit different from other floral shops. You just heard from some women who were at the second Native Women's Business Summit that took place on April 5th and 6th. Links to everyone's website are on the Toasted Sister website. 
Thanks to Native Women Lead, the host of the summit, for allowing me to attend and gather stories. You can visit nativewomenlead.org for more information on the summit. Toasted Sisters supported by the Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation. The intro and outro music was created for Toasted Sister by CWION. Check out CWION.com. That's CWAYON.com. And thank you so much for listening. I'm Andy Murphy from the Navajo Nation. <laughs>